You're listening to WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. The Fired Up Show starts right now. And welcome. It's Monday, and here we are. You're there, I'm here, and it's time for Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com. Hi, everybody. This is Steve. I host the show each week, and we're going to get into the political system here in the United States. So let's jump off and get right into it, all right? So as always, we start with our update on where we are in battling the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. Uh, To date, there have been 31.2 million cases reported, with 562,000 people having died from the disease, and vaccinations continue to climb. We're up to 186.3 million people who have received at least one dose of the vaccines that are currently available. And that represents over a third of the American population, uh, about 38%. And we are on track to getting more and more people done as daily vaccination rates uh, still orbit around 4 million a day. And uh, that's great news. We're happy to hear that. But it doesn't take away from the fact that we still have a long way to go, as we'll talk about in a minute, uh, and that we still need to wear our mask and practice social distancing and wash our hands and, and keep ourselves clean to avoid spreading the disease. So as, as stated, um, this past week, President Joe Biden uh, made an announcement on Tuesday, and uh, the the Associated Press had an article about it, and uh, I'll, I'll quote some pieces from that. Uh, President Joe Biden announced Tuesday that he's bumping up his deadline by two weeks for states to make all adults in the U.S. eligible for coronavirus vaccines. But even as he expressed optimism about the pace of vaccinations, he warned that Americans Sorry, he warned Americans that the nation is not yet out of the woods when it comes to the pandemic. And he's quoted as saying, let me be deadly earnest with you. We aren't at the finish line. We still have a lot of work to do. We're still in a life and death race against the virus, Biden said in remarks at the White House. The president warned that new variants of the virus are spreading and they're moving quickly. Cases are going back up. Hospitalizations are no longer declining. He added that the pandemic remains dangerous, and he encouraged Americans to continue to wash their hands, socially distance, and wear masks. Biden added that while his administration is on schedule to meet his new goal of distributing 200 million doses of the vaccine during his first 100 days, it will still take time for enough Americans to get vaccinated to slow the spread of the virus. But he expressed hope that his Tuesday announcement that every adult will be eligible by April 19th, that's a week from today, to sign up and get in a virtual line to be vaccinated, will help expand access and distributions of the vaccine. Some states had already begun moving up their deadline from the original May 1 goal. Uh, No more confusing rules, no more confusing restrictions, Biden is quoted as saying. And uh, the way to beat this, that, and this is from you know, President Biden, is to get the vaccination when you can. 
All right. Now, it, it is noted in the article that, you know, signing up doesn't mean that you will get the vaccination in the same day, but it puts you in line to schedule your appointment to go get a uh, vaccination administered. So, you know, a, as he continued, um, he announced that 150 million doses of COVID-19 vaccine have been shot into arms since his inauguration on January 20th. That puts the president well on track to meet his new goal of 200 million shots administered by his 100th day in office, which will be April 30th. Vice President Kamala Harris and her husband, Doug Imhoff, also spent the day Tuesday focused on promoting the COVID-19 vaccine, each touring a vaccination center, Harris in Chicago and Imhoff in Yakima, Washington. Uh, Vice President Harris praised the workers and those receiving their vaccine at a site set up at a local union hall and spoke of spring as a moment where we all feel a sense of renewal. Uh, she's quoted as saying, we can see a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, in, in related news, some states are making plans to ease their health restrictions, even as the country is facing a potential surge of uh, virus cases. On Tuesday, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's top infectious disease expert, warned that the country is in a, quote, critical time, close quote, because, quote, we could just as easily swing up into a surge. Uh, he continues saying that would be a setback for public health. That would be a psychological setback as well, he said, during an interview with the National Press Club. He noted that Americans are experiencing COVID-19 fatigue after more than a year of lockdowns and restrictions to public life aimed at slowing the spread of the virus. Biden and many of his advisors, the article goes on, uh, have warned against reopening the economy too quickly and easing mask mandates at the risk of driving a fresh surge in virus cases. In a quote, the president uh, said, no, I'm sorry, quoted from Dr. Fauci, we don't just want to have to go back to really shutting things down. That would be terrible, uh, Dr. Fauci said. But Biden's announcement of the April 19th deadline was aimed at injecting optimism into a public that's grown weary of the restrictions, and it comes as a flood of vaccine is being sent to states this week. Jeff Zients, the White House coordinate, yeah, coronavirus coordinator, told Governors Tuesday during a weekly conference that more than 28 million doses of COVID-19 vaccines will be delivered to, to states this week. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki announced at her daily briefing. That allocation brings the total amount of vaccine distributed over the past three weeks to more than 90 million doses, Psaki said. At least a dozen states opened eligibility to anyone 16 and older on Monday alone, and that would be a week ago Monday, while New Jersey and Oregon announced this week that residents 16 and older will become eligible on April 19th. So the president and his team are stoking up optimism with regard to the battle against the COVID-19 pandemic, and they're backing that up with the numbers in terms of doses of vaccine being made available and the access to uh, getting the vaccine opening up to all adults in the country uh, within the next week. Uh, as as really positive news and clear sign that you know we are marching toward the finish line in our battle with uh, COVID-19. Uh, in in other news and and kind of close to home, 
Uh, yours truly got his first dose of the vaccine this past Thursday. Uh, I went, I'd made an appointment and went. Uh, the whole process took about a half an hour and uh, everything went uh, smoothly. I got the first dose of the Moderna vaccine. And I must say that uh, although I had expected, you know, some, some side effects to appear, uh, none of them really did. Uh, a little bit of uh, tenderness in my left arm where the injection uh, was given and a really slight, uh, I won't call it a fever, just kind of a, a, a flush, warmth uh, on the, the night and day after. But other than that, it was really smooth. So, you know, as promised, I said I would let you guys know when I got my dosage and I've got the first one. Uh, my next one will be, you know, in a couple of weeks in May and I'll update you on that one as well. But uh, by all means, don't let a fear of side effects uh, dissuade you from signing up to get your vaccine. The protection uh, from the virus and the prevention of spread is you know well worth uh, any little bit of discomfort that you might experience so uh, glad to get that one behind me i feel really good about it and um, happy to do my part and take one for the team as it were so let's uh, move on to some other news that's been happening moving back into the political realm uh, as you know over the last couple of episodes we talked about the uh, law signed into effect in georgia uh, placing some new uh, guidelines and restrictions on uh, voting in that state. And the reaction to that has been um, widespread fast and furious, uh, ranging from lawsuits to boycotts to uh, Major League Baseball pulling the All-Star game out of Atlanta and transferring it to Denver, Colorado. Uh, and you know, this has created something of a political firestorm. Uh, Republicans this past week uh, have been all about uh, decrying the, the move of the All-Star Game out of Atlanta. But uh, some are saying that, you know, they are protesting uh, sparks of a little bit of hypocrisy. And as evidenced by what uh, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said, uh, just the other day where, you know, he condemned Major League Baseball and, and corporations in general for being involved in politics, but came up short when it came to the area of political contributions. So uh, apparently, um, if you listen to McConnell and the Republicans, they want corporations to, you know, shut up about uh, political activities, but keep sending those dollars on in, folks. Um, you know, and it's an article in the Daily Cost that spoke about this um, from last week, and you know, it starts off. You know, for decades, Republicans have been all about handouts to big corporations. Their big achievement came uh, as Trump signed the corporate tax rate, cutting it from 35% to 21%. But this past week has shown exactly where Republican loyalty to big business ends. When big business challenges Republican efforts to maintain power by attacking voting rights, then the uh, epic hissy fit time. 
but the tantrums are part of a new culture war playbook the public face on an attempt by Republicans from Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell to the Trumpiest of the Trumpers to force companies to toe the Republican line or else lose their giveaways. Republicans have, I'm sorry, lose the giveaways Republicans have sent their way for decades. Republicans are training most of their public rage on Major League Baseball for moving the All-Star game out of Georgia, but the state's new voter uh, suppression law targeting black voters, according to Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, the MLB caved to fear and lies from liberal activists. In translation, made a business decision based on the reality of the law I signed. So the arguments are starting to fall along the lines of uh, Republicans wanting you know, corporate money, wanting all of the, that, that access to that unlimited funds and so forth, but don't believe that corporations have a right to criticize, critique, or otherwise suggest how Republican political activity should be carried out. Um, you know, it, it is clear that, you know, their, their in, intentions are to keep the money pipeline flowing, but to close the door on discussion and input from, you know, corporate America. Uh, and frankly, I find that, you know, obviously uh, hypocritical, but definitely disingenuous. Uh, if you're going to accept money for, and contributions from anyone, including business, um, they have a right to let you know what they would like to see that money uh, go toward. Now, as we know, with, with many things political, and this, this pertains to both Republicans and Democrats, um, you know, following the will of the people is not something that either political party has been particularly good at over the last, uh, I don't know, 20, 25 years or more, uh, where we have had, you know, uh, items and, and opinions in this country that have garnered, you know, 60, 70, 80, and, and higher percentage of, you know, consent and approval from the American people and our political leaders have voted in the exact opposite direction. Uh, apparently, they're listening to someone else and not the people who elected them and sent them uh, to their office. You know, so you know, the article concludes uh, by saying, here's the thing. Profit motives do substantially drive these companies, but the companies have decided that supporting voting rights is a better move profit-wise than being associated with a law that criminalizes giving water or pizza to people waiting in line for hours to vote because the latter is a very bad look. Black people buy things. Brown people buy things. LGBTQ people buy things. Young people buy things. For companies that want to appeal to the widest possible market, catering to the shrinking, aging, white Republican base is not a good calculation, uh, which is exactly why Republicans are yelling loudly about boycotts and supposedly popular opinion while really threatening legislative penalties. They know the former is where their leverage comes from. And what they mean by that is, uh, the Republicans uh, in Georgia have threatened to take away uh, some of the perks that uh, Major League Baseball uh, gets in the state of Georgia, you know, from tax breaks 
to you know uh, other things uh, because they have decided to uh, boycott the state of Georgia uh, over the voting law issue. So we'll we'll keep you posted as to what transpires with not only the law in Georgia uh, as the inevitable lawsuits uh, begin to work their way through the court system, uh, but also we'll we'll keep a, a finger on the pulse of you know what public opinion is about what Georgia has done, what it means for the rest of the country. Because remember, there are still 40 some odd other states that have uh, similar and in some cases more draconian voter uh, restriction legislation on, on the docket for them to consider. So all eyes right now are kind of focused on Georgia to see how this plays out uh, to determine how much uh, they're really going to push uh, voter restrictions and voting uh, process restrictions uh, into the future. But if, if I were a betting man, I would bet that, you know, given the political consequences and the political objectives, that we are seeing the first of what are going to be many such cases arising around the country. So, you know, we'll keep you posted. Uh, if you uh, have some thoughts on either the Georgia law or, you know, the Republican response, please send an email to the show. Uh, our email address is firedupradio at yahoo.com. Uh, I'd love to, to get your opinions on what you think is going on. And uh, we can definitely bring that to the forum and have a discussion on it. So... In other news and subjects, and just in case you thought that the extent of our coverage of the uh, coronavirus just goes to the numbers and the rates of vaccination and so forth, an article came out in Forbes uh, on April 6th uh, that says, and, and I quote the headline, the number of billionaires spiked by 30% during the pan pandemic. And the byline is, uh, it's easy to lose track of the numbers, but you shouldn't. So Forbes magazine is reporting that uh, the, the total number of billionaires exploded over the course of the coronavirus pandemic, and they individually became extraordinarily wealthier during the past 12 months. So as the article states, uh, the world is now home to 2,755 billionaires, a world record and a startling 30% increase from Forbes accounting last year of the world's uber-rich. 86% of those billionaires are richer than they were a year ago. The list does paint an exaggerated picture, according to the article, of some of the pandemic gains because it compares today's net worths to Forbes' last analysis in mid-March 2020 when the market had yet to recover from the early pandemic-inspired sell-off. Uh, so, you know, this, this uh, statistic uh, is, is adding some fuel to uh, the debate over in inequality uh, with nations like Argentina uh, adopting a wealth tax and other similar proposals gaining a foothold in the United States. In the U.S., many Americans have more personal income and savings than they had before the pandemic, thanks in part to unprecedented government stimulus measures but at the same time, demand for food pantries smashed records and the economy shed about 10 million jobs. Billionaire philanthropists have played center stage in America's recovery. 
but perhaps no statistic better encapsulates the scale of the yawning inequality than that Mackenzie Scott, the former wife of Jeff Bezos and one of the wealthiest people in the world, probably gave more money away directly to nonprofits in 2020 than any person has in a single year ever before. Yet because of Amazon's surging stock price, she still actually ended the year richer, Forbes reports. Uh, Forbes finds that the tech set, like Scott, fared particularly well. Six of the world's ten richest people made their money in tech, and the total assets controlled by all tech billionaires globally increased uh, or, or measures $2.5 trillion, far more than any other industry. Neither of these figures include Tesla and SpaceX founder Elon Musk, who is classified by Forbes as in the automotive industry, but has ridden Tesla's extraordinary bull run to become the second richest person in the world. And, uh, you know, it, it, it concludes with, you know, um, it, it just shows that the debate over wealth inequality isn't going anywhere, even when the pandemic fades away. So, you know, this is just a fact and a, a part of our existence now that we are going to have an increasing number of billionaires to correspond with an increasing number of people below the poverty level here in this country. And that's something that we are going to have to uh, take and, and put focus on and put energy to and, you know, put a call to action out about getting a more balanced uh, distribution of economic power in this country. Uh, the, the idea that you can have, you know, someone, you know, like Bezos, you know, who's worth, I forget, 180 billion more, who knows, uh, and yet have, you know, 38% of the people, as I talked about in last week's show, that are living at or below the poverty level in this country and has been made worse because of the pandemic, while millionaires and billionaires have been getting richer and richer because of the pandemic. Uh, it's one of the issues that we as a country have got to address and that we as voters in the electorate need to bring to the sharp attention of our elected officials, both federal and state and local, uh, to address these inequities and get changes put in place to deal with them. So, you know, just something to think about, um, you know, if, if you get that warm and fuzzy feeling because there are, you know, more and more billionaires in the world, then, you know, this week was your week. So we'll take our break here. We'll come back after the break and uh, talk about something near and dear to this show. And that is uh, the news and where you get it. So stay tuned. You're listening to Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com. This is Steve, and we'll be right back after the break. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines 
since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. And welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com. So if you've been following this show for any length of time, you know that the premise of my show is uh, to discuss the political system uh, as it affects us, the people here in America. Uh, not so much the politicians themselves, unless you know they are central to the issue, but really to look at how our government uh, at the state, local, and federal level uh, works for or against us uh, in its in its day to day operation. And um, you know we we find that as I talked about in the previous segment with regard to the MLB uh, pulling out of Atlanta that uh, the Republican Party uh, is weighing in heavily on certain aspects of controlling who gets to vote uh, in, this, in this country uh, through various uh, legal, quasi-legal, and you know, potentially illegal means. Um, and you know, the, the Democrats, in response, are you know, playing their game to try and you know, control the political narrative through uh, exercising uh, various rules in the Senate. You know, they're, they're looking to push their agenda using budget reconciliation uh, because they clearly are not going to be able to count on Republican support for much of President Biden's agenda. Um, this past week, uh, the Democrats uh, fired a new shot across the bow uh, of the political commentary here in this country. Uh, President Biden, and this comes out of an article in Reuters uh, from April 9th, uh, Biden forms panel to study possible U.S. Supreme Court expansion. So unless you've been in your starship out in the Delta Quadrant for the last four years and uh, haven't kept up with what uh, the Republicans have been doing uh, with their control of uh, the White House and the Senate over the, the past uh, 10 years, actually, but uh, actively the past four years with regard to the judiciary, you'll know that uh, they have spent a tremendous amount of effort uh, appointing uh, conservative, Republican-leaning um, judges to the federal court system, uh, both at the uh, appeals court, the, the district court, and even the Supreme Court. Um, you know, in, in a very controversial move, uh, the Republicans uh, and, and President, former President Trump pushed very hard to get uh, their nominees appointed to the Supreme Court, including uh, getting one nominated uh, in the middle of an election, which was contrary to what uh, the same Republicans, in particular the same uh, Mitch McConnell, had said would not happen in you know, regards to the previous administration. Um, but, you know, this week, President Joe Biden fired back, uh, announcing that he is forming a bipartisan commission 
to study potential U.S. Supreme Court changes, including expanding the number of justices beyond the current nine, uh, a goal of some liberal Democrats hoping to end its conservative majority. Under an executive order signed by the Democratic president, the 36-member commission will consider the, quote, merits and legality, close quote, of potential reforms to the nation's top judicial body, including adding justices or imposing term limits uh, on their service instead of the current lifetime appointments. The number of Supreme Court justices has remained at nine since 1869, but Congress has the power to change the number and did so several times before that. Uh, imposing term limits would likely require a constitutional amendment, though some scholars have proposed ways to accomplish it by statute. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said the commission will represent the full political spectrum. It will include liberal and conservative legal scholars, former federal judges and lawyers who have appeared before the court. It will hold public meetings and have 180 days to report its findings. Biden, uh, Biden promised in October, late in the presidential election campaign, to establish the commission, a step that enabled him to avoid taking a firm position on the, proposed, on the proposal floated by some liberals to expand the court, uh, though he has opposed the idea in the past. Republicans fiercely oppose the idea of what is sometimes called court packing. Some Democrats and liberal activists have said all options, including expansion, must be considered to counter an entrenched conservative majority that could threaten abortion rights, civil rights, gun control, and access to health care in the coming years. Republican former President Donald Trump was able to appoint three justices during his four years in office, giving the court a six to three conservative majority. Democrats accused the Republicans of stealing a Supreme Court seat in 2016 when the Senate, then controlled by Republicans, refused to consider Democratic President Barack Obama's nomination of Merrick Garland to fill a vacancy left by the death of conservative Justice Antonin Scalia. Senate Republicans at the time, led by then-Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, said it would be inappropriate to confirm a justice during a presidential election year. Their gambit paid the way for Trump in 2017 to replace Scalia with another conservative, Justice Neil Gorsuch. Democrats accused Republicans of hypocrisy last year when the Senate quickly confirmed Trump's appointment of conservative Justice Amy Coney Barrett a week before the presidential election after the death of liberal justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg the prior month. Calling it a faux academic study of, non, of a non-existent problem, McConnell blasted Biden's commission as a political attack on the court. Quote, it's just an attempt to clothe those ongoing attacks in fake legitimacy, close quote, McConnell said. McConnell played a pivotal role in helping Trump move the Supreme Court and the broader federal judiciary rightward by making Senate confirmation of uh, judicial appointments a paramount priority. So, you know, in the article goes on to discuss, you know, the, the actions uh, that the Republicans have taken, uh, gives consideration to the court's oldest member, Liberal Justice uh, Stephen Breyer, who is 82. 
said, if Breyer retires this year, as liberal activists have urged him to do so, Biden would make his first appointment to the high court. Biden has promised to name a black woman, which would be a historic first. But replacing the liberal with a liberal would not change the court's ideological balance. Uh, Press Secretary Saki said Biden believes that a decision for Justice Beyer, uh, that's a decision for Justice Beyer to make when he decides it is no longer time to serve on the Supreme Court. Um, you know, so, you know, the 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 changes uh, being made to the court, both uh, by conservatives and, you know, now uh, under the Biden administration is, is, you know, another illustration of, you know, this this back and forth one upmanship uh, game of chicken that we have watched play out over the last 10 years uh, in the Senate and particularly in the last four years uh, in the executive branch uh, and, you know, in other areas. So, you know, it, it, it is it, it is difficult to to put into words um, how crazy this whole back and forth uh, seems, both from an optic standpoint as well as from a, a practical and legal standpoint. Uh, you know, the, the idea that a, a court, particularly the Supreme Court, which by it, its own definition is supposed to be, quote, apolitical, close quote, that is not have a, a political consideration. Uh, it has been amazing to watch just how politicized the court process has become. Uh, one of the things, and we, we discussed this on this show uh, over the course of the last year, is that many of the justices that were appointed during the Trump administration uh, did not pass uh, muster from the the country's bar association. That is, the bar did not consider them uh, qualified uh, or uh, prepared to hold the positions of uh, justices, uh, particularly that federal judges are appointed for lifetime positions. Uh, the the people that that were appointed uh, came from all all ranks of you know, the professional world, uh, including the law, but uh, many of them had as their primary ticket to the bench being that they were uh, dyed-in-the-wool or, you know, storied conservatives and would vote along a conservative ideological line when it comes to decisions that came before them on the bench. And, you know, that is distant from what the Founding Fathers intended for the Supreme Court and for the courts in general. Uh, the, the Founders wanted the court system in this country to be an apolitical arbiter of the law. That is, they would, you know, for the cases brought before them, review them as, as, as uh, defined and compare them to what the law uh, requires. And if there is, a, is precedent in law or in, in decisions passed prior, then they would, uh, you know, would judge accordingly. If there were no prior decisions, then these judges would uh, be empowered to basically create 
new law or expand existing law to fit the need of the circumstance. That's the, the basic principle of how our judicial system functions, uh, particularly when it comes to uh, areas of public policy. And what we have seen over the last decade and, and so forth is an increasing uh, occurrence of political basis being used to make legal determinations. That is, you know, the, the laws are reviewed, the precedents are studied, and then it is all filtered through either a liberal or conservative lens, depending upon, you know, who the, the justice is or, or what the time frame is and what the makeup of the uh, judicial body has been. Um, you know, this is something that has been growing and is you know, represented here now by a six to three conservative majority. Although I must point out that uh, in the, the, the first couple of years or, or the first year really of the six three conservative majority in the Supreme Court in particular, um, where the the past administration, the administration of former President Donald Trump, had expected the conservative Supreme Court to line up with uh, its values, as did the Republican Party, and were frankly surprised when the conservative court uh, went against them. Uh, deciding to follow you know, their guidance and, and follow the law and do what, what they were empowered to do. Uh, and this was clear in a couple of landmark cases, as well as the outcomes of you know, the 60-some-odd uh, cases that former President Trump brought uh, through the federal court system up to and including the Supreme Court uh, trying to get the 2020 election overturned. Uh, Donald Trump believed that having a conservative Supreme Court majority and having appointed uh, over 200 uh, conservative federal judges that you know he would win these cases one after another. And in fact, um, he basically lost all of them uh, with the exception of one minor, uh, decision that had nothing to do with election outcome, but was more a function of uh, an, an approach as to how a, a determination was made in a particular state. So, you know, we, we, can, we can take some comfort in that, you know, even though they were appointed from a, a political perspective, um, that for the most part, uh, some or many of these justices, and including the Supreme Court, have ruled with the law as their guidance and not some uh, political uh, dogma uh, guiding them to their decisions. Uh, but, you know, with regard to this commission that President Biden is forming, uh, in, in my opinion, um, I think the idea of expanding the Supreme Court uh, is is problematic. I think you know it it, it puts the Supreme Court into this yo-yo position, uh, and, and it has happened in the past. The Supreme Court has been expanded beyond its nine-member panel uh, a few times, um, going going back to 
you know, the, the late 1800s and particularly uh, in 1930, I believe it was expanded and then a few years later was actually brought back to its nine member uh, makeup. Uh, the problem I see with, with doing this is that uh, what one you know, political party does, another political party can undo when they come into power by you know, passing a law or you know, however the process is to expand the court and basically shrink it back. Um, I, I think it puts the, the Supreme Court in particular and the judiciary in general into this yo-yo mode where we will see, you know, more than less, than more than less, you know, back and forth. And that's going to have a very damaging effect on our legal system in terms of one of the things that, that is a, a founding principle in our legal system, and that is a consistent interpretation of the law. So, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of expanding the court. Uh, I get the idea put forward about balancing out the conservative majority, but, you know, I, I think it is, you know, more about the nature of the cases that are brought before the court rather than the makeup of the court that determines how the, you know, third branch of our government will impact our lives. Uh, but we, we will see what happens uh, as we go forward. As I said, they have a 180-day window to uh, assess and bring their report back. We'll see what happens when the report comes back. Uh, I can pretty much guarantee you, though, that it is, it is going to be uh, quite the fireworks show when that report comes back, you know, whichever way it comes back. So, you know, that, that's that. And, you know, if you, have, if you have a thought on, you know, should the Supreme Court uh, be expanded, you know, to how many? Should it be to 11 justices, to 12, to, to 13? Uh, what are your thoughts? Send an email to firedupradio at yahoo.com and let me know what you think. Uh, I look forward to, you know, seeing your comments and, and having uh, discussion on them. So, um, it, 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 as I've said uh, before, if you listen to this show on a regular basis, um, one of the things I always, always bring up is the diversity of information that we as voters in this country and we as as citizens in this country that we need to make sure we are getting so that we can make you know educated and informed decisions uh, about the things that matter to us and you know as i said if you've listened to the show you've heard me say time and time again that you know you shouldn't just get your information from one news source or you know one uh, social media source, but you should collect a range of sources on both sides or on all sides of the spectrum to make sure you're getting a, a true picture of what's going on. Because if you, if you look and you know, go between the various sources, the truth, the kernel of the pure truth is generally somewhere in the middle between you know, one side and the other and the top and the bottom. And that's why this story that came out on uh, April 8th, on Thursday, uh, caught my interest immediately. 
because it goes right to the point of, of what I've been saying and what I've been preaching on this show since day one uh, in you know getting your information from as many sources as possible. And uh, this one involves uh, the CBS, CBS News magazine show 60 Minutes. Uh, you might have heard uh, some talk about this uh, over the course of the last uh, four or five days. Uh, but uh, let me give you a little bit of the background and then we'll go into a little bit of what the story talked about. So uh, um, the report talks about a uh, press conference that was held by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis uh, to uh, present information uh, on the state's coronavirus vaccine program. And particularly, uh, the report was looking into whether there was uh, a, a uh, preference or preferential treatment being given to uh, wealthy Floridians uh, where they were among the first to get coronavirus vaccines in the state to the detriment of working class areas. Um, but as the report continued, and as the, the press conference that Governor DeSantis was having, uh, you know, was progressing, it became clear that a, a bigger conversation was brewing in how 60 Minutes covered uh, DeSantis's, uh conference, press conference, uh, particularly in uh, the asking of one question uh, and the answer given by the Florida governor. Uh, let me read a little bit uh, from, the, uh, from the article. And this came out of PolitiFact and was actually reported by WINK, a local TV station uh, in Florida, that uh, you know, excerpted and reported on the PolitiFact story that came out about this, this press conference. Um, really quickly, uh, the report by 60 Minutes correspondent Sharon Alfonsi looked at how wealthy Floridians were among the first to get corona coronavirus vaccines in the state to the detriment of working class areas. That reporting was overshadowed by 60 Minutes coverage of DeSantis's decision to partner with Publix, uh, grocery uh, store chain, for those of you not familiar, to distribute vaccines in places like Palm Beach County, which has a very large elderly population. Publix is the dominant supermarket chain in the state. Um, 60 Minutes reported that the... So the core of the story is that uh, 60 Minutes was reporting uh, that Publix, a grocery store chain, had given a $100,000 donation in December to DeSantis's 2022 re-election campaign, and that may have influenced his decision to have Publix uh, hosting one of the vaccine distribution centers in Palm Beach County. Um, you know, DeSantis latched onto the show's editing of, of his response in which he uh, gave a, a rather detailed answer as to you know, how Publix uh, came to be selected and that you know, the political contribution had nothing to do with it. Um, so his answer, which uh, ran to about uh, two minutes and 15 seconds in length, 
uh, was edited down for 60 minutes uh, broadcast down to slightly more than than one minute. And, you know, a, a lot of the explanation, um, you know, defending his decision and, and pointing out the error of the reporter's question and and uh, accusations was eliminated. So, you know, it, it, and to, to quote, DeSantis has latched onto the show's editing of his response to a question about pay to play as further proof of corporate media bias. Uh, he also did not sit for an interview either with uh, PolitiFact 60 Minutes or WINK. Uh, his quote, I gave a very detailed answer and that answer was edited out. Every single fact that I discussed was edited out, uh, DeSantis said on April 7th. Everything they left on the cutting room floor was designed to take away all the evidence against their narrative. It was malicious what they did. So, you know, and there are there are videos on social media that compare the uninterrupted answer that DeSantis gave with what CBS uh, broadcast on its 60 Minutes show. Um, you know, and I, I got to say, you know, 60 Minutes uh, really doesn't come out well in this uh, analysis. Um, if you read the transcript of what... 60 Minutes included from the press conference, um, it, it, it's clear that they left out many key points that DeSantis had made, uh, you know, perhaps because they refuted the, the claim and objective that CBS was trying to get in that, you know, De DeSantis got a donation from Publix and as a reward for that, gave them the distributorship for coronavirus vaccine in Palm Beach County, uh, where, you know, as DeSantis said, you know, it, it was clear Publix is the most populous store in that county. Uh, it has the most stores within reach of the target, um, uh, you know, the target audience, especially seniors, they were trying to get. All right. And, you know, in in one point, um, you know, the the reporter uh, is is heard to ask the criticism is that it's pay to play governor. And DeSantis replies, and it's wrong. It's wrong. It's a fake narrative. I just disabused you of the narrative and you don't care about the facts because obviously I laid it out for you in a way that's irrefutable. And so it's clearly not. And the reporter comes back and says, isn't the nearest public in the glades 30 miles away that's actually a fact DeSantis says no 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 you're wrong you're wrong you're wrong um, you know uh, 60 minutes is saying that their clip was edited for clarity uh, the 60 minute segment omits some of the background on why Florida partnered with Publix to distribute coronavirus vaccines that omission could constitute deceptive editing, as some social media users have claimed. Uh, deceptive editing means a clip that's been edited and rearranged, according to the Washington Post Guide to Manipulated Video. Deceptive editing can include omission, uh, um, editing out large portions from a video and presenting it as a complete narrative to skew reality, and splicing, editing together disparate videos that fundamentally alters the story that being, that's being told. 
By omitting DeSantis' remarks on why the state partnered with public to distribute vaccines in Palm Beach County, the 60 Minutes clip could fall into the former category. So, you know, it, it, it goes back to, uh, and, and I'm, I'm frankly disappointed in 60 Minutes. Um, I, I don't think this lives up to their standard of, of journalism. However, it does uh, anchor the point I say time and time again, and, you know, it serves as an object lesson in why it's imperative that we don't accept single sources for our information, that we go out, we verify. As I say, you dig wider, dig deeper, look for other sources, even sources that, you know, aren't uh, or that don't share your political um, leaning to hear all sides of the story and then make your decision based on what you find to be relevant from all the sources. Um, it, it's, it's clear that when you listen to the clips, and I urge you to, to uh, go onto social media and search for you know, 60 Minutes DeSantis interview, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it'll pop up you know, within the first one or two clicks, uh, that we learn the lesson that, you know, the truth uh, in this day and age uh, can't be obtained from single point sources. Uh, if we want to be sure that we are getting, you know, uh, the truth that's out there, we have to, as, as Ronald Reagan said years ago, trust but verify. We have to, you know, trust in the sources that we listen to or that we read or that we watch but verify their accuracy against other sources and against the facts. So, you know, that is a good object lesson for us to take forward. And with that note and that thinking, you know, we'll wrap up the show for this week. Again, if you have any thoughts or comments, please send an email to firedupradio at yahoo.com. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to get your thoughts. That's going to do it. Everyone, please stay safe. Uh, When your opportunity comes up to get your vaccine, please uh, register for your appointment and get your vaccine. In the meanwhile, don't forget your mask. Don't forget social distancing. Don't forget washing your hands and and practicing good uh, personal hygiene. I will see you all on our next show. Uh, Thank you for being here. I do appreciate it. And I will talk to you all again in seven days. Wherever you stand, I'm calling every woman, calling every man. We're the generation we can't afford to wait. The future started yesterday, and we're already late.